the word of the Lord. We're 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 gonna we're looking at Gospel of Matthew chapter five. I just want to uh, read to you from Second Timothy chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen. The Bible declares to us this. It says in Second Timothy, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, that's you and I. Are you born again? Then you're a child of God. You're a man of God, a woman of God. Amen? That the, that the man and woman of God may be perfect, may be mature, may be growing, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Because as we come to know the Lord and as we grow, we, out of our love for the Lord, good works come forth, don't they? And so that's what scripture does to us. It's given by inspiration of God. It teaches us, it corrects us, it instructs us in righteousness. It says for instruction in righteousness. That means that we all, you, me, all of us who are believers, we need instruction. We need instruction. That means we need to go to school. We need to go to school, meaning Jesus is our teacher, Right? God is the principal. Jesus, well, God is the teacher. I don't know however you want to look at it. But Jesus is the teacher and the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to understand and learn. We need instruction in what? Not in building cars or buildings, although that's what we certainly want to know how to do those things. But we need instruction in righteousness, in doing things God's way. Right? And how are we going to learn that but the Lord himself teach us? Right? And so the Bible says we need instruction. I need instruction, and I say, yes, Lord, instruct me. How many of you say, yes, Lord, instruct me? Right? That's it. Would any of us go to a class and say, I'm not here to learn, I don't want to learn, and so don't you try and teach me anything. What do you think would happen to you in that classroom? Huh? Out the door if you're not here to learn. But when we become born-again children... We want to learn from the Lord. We want to learn the Word of God, don't we? There should be a love for God's Word in our lives and in our hearts. And say, Lord, I want to learn. I always pray, Lord, teach me. I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. Don't you do Isn't that a good prayer? Lord, I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. Because I don't want to be satisfied with just what I know today. I want to keep learning about the Lord and the Lord is my, our teacher, right? And so all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is good that instructs us in righteousness. So wherever we look into the word of God, it's good. It will teach us. It will grow us in, the, in, in a good way. And so as we look to the Sermon on the Mount, it's really what it, it's Jesus it's talking about a sermon. Jesus is teaching a, a sermon, and he begins it by giving the Beatitudes. But Jesus is making a declaration about his kingdom. He's teaching us, he's instructing us about his kingdom and about what we've entered in. See, we, we're born again. How many of you are born again? We're born again. We've entered into a kingdom that is not of this world. And because we're of a kingdom that is not of this world... We need to understand the ways of the kingdom that we've been born into, don't we? We need to know what is it like 
to live in this kingdom that I've been born into. Amen? Every, every person born into a country or into a nation, they learn the ways of that country. They learn the ways of that, that culture, don't they? And so we're born again into the kingdom of God, and therefore we need to be instructed in the ways of that kingdom. And who is there to instruct us but God, but Jesus, and through the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know, in the American Revolution, there was the Declaration of Independence. They made a Declaration of Independence. They declared, this is what we believe, this is what we stand for, and this is what we are willing to die for. You know, it cost the price. When they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they says, this is what we believe, this is what we are going to live, and this is what we are willing to die for. And God gives us his declaration of what the kingdom is like. And we've got to be willing to, to believe it, to live, to stand on it, to live it, and be willing to die for it. You know, the Bible says, you know, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot come up, right? And so some things we need to become dead to. I've been crucified with Christ, yet, yet I live, right? And so even Karl Marx, who was a communist, he wrote the Communist Manifesto. That's what he believed. That's what he lived and taught. And that was he was, he was willing to die for. Everyone makes a declaration of what they believe, what they are going to live their life by, and what they are going to even die for. And so Jesus comes, and he's making a declaration of his kingdom, it says. And so he's, he's teaching something that not the Jews didn't, the Jews were looking for the king who was going to overthrow the world and, and come with a mighty force and take over Rome. But Jesus came with a whole different teaching than they were expecting. And this great teaching, the Beatitudes, it's the B-attitudes, or the attitudes that should be in our lives. The, the B-attitudes, be with this attitude. Have this let this attitude be in you. Amen? Let this characteristic be in you. And so... As Jesus comes, you know, even before he came, John the Baptist, it says he was, in the, he was in the wilderness of Judea, and he was preaching. He was preaching a message, and John said this in Matthew 3. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God, is, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus in Matthew 4, when he began, he says, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist and Jesus both opened up their ministries by saying, Repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hallelujah. And we've repented because we've heard the gospel. We've become born again children of God. Now we need to understand what is life what is life like in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus begins, it says here, now if we go to the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, the, the theme of it really is the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. And the Beatitudes means the blessedness or the happiness of a believer knowing that he's in the kingdom of God. 
Are you happy to know that you're in God's kingdom? Yeah, we shouldn't be sad because we're in, we entered into God's kingdom. We entered into a kingdom that is filled with blessing and glory and honor and joy, amen? Healing and hope, right? Forgiveness and mercy and grace. And so blessedness, the Beatitudes means that we are blessed. We have a divine joy, a divine happiness in us knowing that we now belong in, we are living in, we now live in the kingdom of heaven. One day when these, we depart these bodies, we'll be in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom totally with no more sin, no more sickness, no more death, no more dying. But right now we are living in God's kingdom because we are born again children of God. So we're living in the kingdom. So it says here in the Beatitudes chapter 5 of Matthew, and seeing the multitudes, he went up, Jesus, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. It was a custom in those days for the one who was the teacher to sit and teach. And usually the others stood. Today it's reversed, isn't it? The preacher stands and everybody sits. In those days, the teacher sat and everybody stood. Today, how it got reversed who knows? Little by little, it got reversed, where now the teacher stands and the, and the student sits. But it wasn't that way on the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus sat. He says, and all his disciples came to him. Hallelujah. You see, when Jesus sat, it meant that he was ready to teach. He was school, the Sunday school was ready. It was, the bell rang, and it was ready for the teacher to start teaching, Right? So when Jesus, it says he sat, he was ready to teach. And it says, all his disciples came to him. So who was Jesus addressing on the mount? He was addressing his disciples. Those, a disciple is one who wants to learn more about Jesus. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, it means you are one who has a desire in you to learn more about him. Like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, speak. I want to know more. I want to hear. I can't get enough of listening to you, huh? You're like a little kid sitting on grandpa's lap or grandma's lap, wanting to hear a story. You can never tell them enough stories, huh? They'll always want to hear more and more. And But that's how it is with a disciple. We should be saying, Jesus, I want to hear more. Teach me. Tell me the the, the what heaven is like what the kingdom of God is like and so that's a desire that we should all have we should be willing to go to Jesus to listen to him to learn from him and so it says his disciples came to him and then when he they came he opened his mouth and he taught them isn't it wonderful the king of glory the king of kings and the lord of lords came and sat down with his people and began to teach them how loving is that? That the God of all creation was going to die for every one of their sins, but he was willing to sit down and teach them. Amen? And so God, it says, and the first thing he says is this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say, for theirs will be the kingdom. You see, he's talking to his disciples who believe in him. 
And he's saying that if you believe, if we believe in Jesus, the kingdom of God is ours. It belongs to you. It's not, gonna, it's not something you have to wait for or look for or, or find a way to get in. You're already in. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus, now we know that he was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. If we're in Jesus, we are already in the kingdom. So Jesus is not saying what's going to be. Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is what is today. The Bible elsewhere says, now faith is. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Now faith is, right? Every day that we wake up, every day that our eyes open, every day that we can paddle our canoe, every day that we can breathe, we have a new day. It's a new day. Now faith is. And it says blessed, blessed means happy with a divine happiness inside. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not saying blessed are the poor in the world. Although everyone, whether you're rich or poor, if you believe in Jesus, you're blessed. Amen? But Jesus is making a point. He's putting a direction here. And he's saying the most important thing is not the, the, your status in the world. But what is important is your status of your spirit man. Your spirit man that is within you. That is what is more important than anything else. And in the spirit man, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does he mean by that? It means blessed are those who are humble inside rather than proud, rather than full of self. They understand that, Lord, I must decrease, you must increase, as, as it was said, right? And so it poor in spirit means that we, we need Jesus to teach us and guide us. We need him in our life. It means that we have to understand that spiritually, without Jesus, we are poor. We are without salvation. We are without hope, without Jesus. But Jesus needs, will come and give us what we need. He will enrich us in our spirit. But first, we must humble ourselves saying, Lord, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I can't live my life without you. That is an attitude of being poor in spirit. It doesn't mean you don't have money. It's not talking about money in your pocket. It's talking about your spiritual attitude and things. You see, someone who's poor in the spirit, they know that, that the vain and corrupt things of this world cannot enrich their spirit man. The only thing that can enrich your spirit man is the word of God. That's why when Jesus sat, his disciples came to him. Lord, we, we, we want you to turn on the fountain and let that water of truth flow. Then my spirit man can be enriched and grown because I'm thirsty. I'm hungry for more of you, for your teaching. So Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit because our dependency is on Jesus, not on anyone or anything else. And so Jesus said, for you when, you, when you, when you're poor in spirit, when you acknowledge that you need me, you know, some people think in their spirit, oh, I've got it all together, I don't need Jesus. 
That's not poor in spirit. That's arrogance. That's puffed up. That's full of self. But when we say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I need, without you, I'm nothing. But with you, all things are possible. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you trust Jesus, when you believe him, the kingdom of heaven is yours already. You're already in it. You're already part of it. You're already there into that place where Jesus can grow you. The second part he goes on to say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now he's not talking about those who are mourning and crying and shedding tears because they lost something, a loved one or something. Now Jesus knows he's there to comfort us when we lose a loved one. Absolutely. And when because he says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, comfort those that need comforting. Jesus, when, when Lazarus died, he comforted Mary and Martha, but he wanted them to know there's something more that, that he rose Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus, when he was saying, poor in spirit, and then he goes, blessed are they who, who mourn. He's not talking about mourning for the loss of a loved one, although he does give us comfort in that. And we need to comfort one another in those times, right? We're not, we're not dispelling that. But Jesus is looking again at the spirit man. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to their spirit. He wants them to grow in their spiritual man. And so he says, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What he's talking about is that like, like the, all, the, all, the, all the prophets, all those, when they sinned, they cried. They cried out to the Lord, forgive me, Lord, have mercy. They were, they're sorrowful. They knew that they were sinners. They knew that they had sinned. And they cried out to the Lord, forgive me, Lord, have mercy. David in Psalm 51, he said, Lord, I acknowledge my sin. My sin's ever before me. He cried out to the Lord for forgiveness and mercy. And it says that God will comfort us. When we cry out, when we cry for forgiveness and mercy, because when we are poor in spirit, we understand, Lord, without you, I, I have nothing. My sin has overwhelmed me, but Lord, you are my salvation, and you alone can comfort me knowing my sins are washed away. What is a comfort? When we know that we have sinned, when we know that we have done wrong, how can God comfort us by knowing that if we confess our sins to him, he is quick to forgive us and wash away all of our sins. And when we know that we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, that brings a comfort to us. He says, you will be comforted because if we don't acknowledge our sin, if we don't confess our sin, that's pride. That's arrogance that we think that we are without. But when we acknowledge our sin and cry out, Lord, forgive me then God forgives us through the blood of Christ. We know we're forgiven, and that brings a comfort to our soul. Nothing can comfort us but the, but the love of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he goes on to say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does he mean, blessed are the meek? Some people think that a meek person is somebody who's just, oh, you can push me around, I'll just be passive and step all over me, walk all over me. 
That's not meek. That's being stupid. That's being allowing the devil to trample on your life. That's not meekness. What does it mean? The, uh, the idea between the, 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 the Greek word there, meek, means strength, being strong but under control. Like a strong stallion was trained to do work and not run wild. A stallion who is, who is trained and, and uses his strength in the right way rather than just running wild, that's, that's the sense of the word there in the Greek. But it also means, the meaning of the word mean, means to show willingness to submit and to work under proper authority. Giving up your rights and privileges to do what you want to do, to be wild, and to come under authority and to submit. Being meek means that as we learn from Jesus, we say, yes, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, teach me. I want to come under your authority, under your rule and reign. That's meekness in the sense, spiritual sense, that the Lord Jesus is trying to teach. And he's not trying to say, just lay down and let people walk on you. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, understand that you submit yourself to me. Come under my authority and say, yes, Lord, I will use my strength and my gifts and talents for your glory and for your namesake. That's the meekness that he's talking about. Again, the Greek meaning of that means like a wild stallion. It's brought in to do the work and it submits and it uses its strength to do what it needs to do. It's not doing whatever it wants anymore. It's not running wild. And when we're not, when we say, Lord, your will, not mine be done, that's being meek in the presence of God and saying, Lord, I'm making a sacrifice. I'm humbling myself before you because you are my God and I want to do what you instruct me to do. That's the meekness that the Lord is talking about. It's wrongly taught that, that to be meek is to lay down and just let be a doormat. That is not what Jesus did. That is not what Jesus taught his disciples to do. Jesus says, you know, you will stand. He says, I give you power to trample on all the forces of the enemy, doesn't he, right? He says, take a stand. I've taught you to be a conqueror and more than a conqueror. Resist the devil and he will flee. But first it says, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. That's saying, Lord, I give, I'm doing things your way. If we submit to God in that meekness, we become strong. In that meekness and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. I'm living for you, not for myself. And when we're meek in that sense, then the strength of God comes upon us. And then we can say to the devil, flee. Resist him and he will flee. And it says, those who are meek, who submit themselves to me, what is it, what, what are you going to, what is it, why should I submit myself to the Lord? Well, the Lord says, you will inherit. Now, this is future tense. You will inherit the earth. You don't inherit something until something passes, right? And the Bible says this heaven and earth is going to pass away. And the Bible says that Jesus is going to reign with his saints for a thousand years in a whole new kingdom. And the Bible says that you will rule and reign with Christ in the new heaven and in the new earth. And that is where Jesus said that if you submit to me and believe on me and do things my way, you are going to inherit the earth. 
The earth that you see now is going to pass away. How many of you know that? So don't labor for the things of this world that are going to pass away. Labor for the things that are coming, the things that God has established, and that you will rule and reign with God even on the new earth, on this earth. But even today, even today, the Bible says that if we submit to God, how do we inherit the earth? Because the Bible says the devil took Jesus up on the mount, and he says, bow down on all these kingdoms that belong to me, I will give to you. And Jesus says, get thou behind me, Satan, for you shall worship the Lord your God alone, right? But God says, I will give you power over all the forces of the enemy of this earth. So in essence, you've inherit, inherited power to, to, to rule over the forces of this earth. So in a sense, you've inherited the power to trample over all the forces of the enemy. So the meek. He says in verse 4, I mean in verse 6, blessed, blessed, happy. God wants you to have a, a satisfaction of happiness, spiritual happiness inside. When you know that you're a child of God, you've got to be in satisfied inside saying, you know what? No matter what comes my way, I know I'm a child of God. I'm have an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is my Savior and Lord. He will never leave me nor forsake me. I have that joy in me, that happiness, that blessedness in me that nobody can take from me. No situation or circumstance can take that from me. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for hot dogs. No. Who hunger and thirst for pasta. No, wait, wait. Who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, Jesus is talking to them not about things of the earth. He's not talking about hungering and thirsting for manna or for this or for that. He's talking about, he's talking about their spirit, the spirit man. My disciples, I want to build you in your spirit man. I want you to grow in your spirit man. This is the most important thing. God will take care of the fleshly things that we need. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All what? Bread, water, food, clothing, haircuts, this, that. God will take care of all of that. But he, that's why Jesus is speaking about spiritual things. He's speaking about what it is being in. You were in the kingdom of heaven. Now we have to start looking at what we already have, what we should keep, and what we should be looking for in our, in our very being. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says you will be filled. God will give you all that you desire when you desire righteousness. He will satisfy. He will make it come to pass and make it come to happen. And he's saying, who hunger and thirst. That means you really want something. It doesn't mean, well, if I get it, who cares? When you're hungry, you want food. When you're thirsty, you want water, right? You don't want anything else. You, when you're thirsty, I need water. Here, have a cracker. I need water, right? And when you're hungry, somebody gives you water, you say, I need food. I don't need more water, I need food. And so the Bible says when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
you will be fulfilled. And we can't just fulfill a hunger doesn't get fulfilled by a snack. Oh, just give me a little crumb and I'll be happy. When you're hungry and starving, when John is hungry, Martha, do you give him a cracker and say, here, eat that and be happy? John would say, I need more than a cracker, right? I'll say, I need more than a cracker. And so the, when, we, when we say, when, when Jesus is saying to hunger and thirst, he means have a deep, a deep longing, a deep desire to be hungry for the things of God. And not be satisfied with just a little bit. Lord, I want more. I want to learn. I want more. That's a hunger and a thirst. When someone has a desire to become a doctor or something, when they really want that, they pursue all the avenues of gaining knowledge of learning because this is what they really want. Right? And so when you really want something, you really pursue to get information, to get knowledge, to get learning about what you really want. And if we really want righteousness to rule and reign in our life, when we really want to experience and live righteousness, then we hunger for it, we thirst for it. And where do we get filled? By looking to the Lord, and the Lord fills us up with that righteousness. This is, he, this is what Jesus is saying, this is what it is, to live in the kingdom of heaven. When you live in the kingdom of heaven, you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, doing things right, doing things God's way, and God will fulfill you. He'll not leave you disappointed or empty. God will, will make the, that righteousness manifest in your life. He will give you the help to live that righteousness out in your life. We can't live it out on our own. We need the help of the God, his love, his word, his Holy Spirit, and he works out righteousness in us. It's not that we have to work it out. We just have to want it, to desire it, and God works it out in our lives, and he helps us. That's why it's not about works. Works we do out of love for God, but God works out righteousness in us when we hunger and thirst for it, when we really want it. And it says that, that God will fill us. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Merciful. Forgiving. Forgiveness. Isn't it? It's hard to forgive sometimes. But with the Lord, all things are possible. The Lord is able to give us that. When we understand, Jesus said, if we don't forgive others, how can we find forgiveness? This is a spiritual truth living in the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, I need your mercy. I need you to help me. I need forgiveness. I need your mercy and your grace. And Jesus said, if you forgive, I will forgive you. It's, it comes. And so that's why we need to be merciful, reaching out to those in need. When we go to the nursing home, when we go to the nursing home on Thursday, we're doing, something, uh, we're doing something wonderful there. We're giving of our time and our willingness to be there, to minister the love and the word of God to others, to be there, to help wheel them around. That's mercy. That's goodness. And all these things, God says that we, when we, if we show mercy, we will obtain mercy. When we do something good for someone, 
it will come back to us. What God is saying that whatever you do will come back to you. When you show kindness, kindness will be shown to you by someone. When you show mercy, mercy will be shown to you. When you when you show compassion, compassion will be shown back to you. And so as we sow, so shall we reap. And so that when we do things, we do it because we love the Lord. We know this is the right thing to do because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This is what God would desires us to do. And we do it out of a willingness and a love and a joy. But God says as you do these things, as you live out these things, it will come back on you. It comes back on you. You're doing it not to receive it, but you're doing it to, to, because you love God, you love the, to, to do things the right way. And the reward is that as you do it, so it comes back on you. You can't get away from it. You can't escape it. And so God says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That they shall see God. Hallelujah. 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 The Bible says in the Gospel of John, he says that if you love me and you keep my commands, he says the Father and I will manifest ourselves to you. Isn't it wonderful? When we live in the kingdom of God and want to do things right and live in hunger for righteousness, want show mercy and all these things, understanding that we want to do things God's way, God has a way of manifesting himself in our lives that he shows himself to us as individuals. We don't, we don't see him in a picture or he doesn't like manifest like a ghost or something like that. But God shows you in your inner being who he really is and who he truly, truly is. And we shall truly, someday, we will really see God for who he is when we pass through, those, through the portals of, into heaven and we enter into that place called the New Jerusalem where we'll be with God forever. Then we'll see him as he is. And then we shall see God. But even now in the spirit, Jesus is saying, yeah, we shall see God then, but we will see God. Because Jesus said to his disciples elsewhere, if you remember, if you've seen me, because they were saying, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus, what did he say? He said, if you see me, you see the Father. If you hear me, you hear the Father. And so as they're looking at Jesus and listening to his teaching and receiving his teaching, they're looking, they're beholding, they're beholding God. They're beholding the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we do, as we keep our hearts pure, keep your heart pure, keep your heart pure, May, meaning be sincere, be honest, be not like the scribes and Pharisees, you know, saying one thing and doing another. Keep your heart pure. Listen to the words and teachings of God. Call upon the Lord, say, Lord, this is my heart's desire to live these things out. And with you working in me, you can help me to live these things. Amen. We can't live them without him. But that's why Jesus says, you're blessed. You're blessed. Because not only will God help you, God will work it out in your life when you hunger for it, when you thirst for it, when your heart is longing for it. And you say, Lord, oh, what did, what did David say? Lord, create a clean heart in me. 
Lord, your word have I hid in my heart that I sin not against you. That's how we keep a pure heart. Lord, I don't want to sin against you. Lord, create a clean heart in me. Lord, let your word be in my heart that I sin not against you. That's what a pure heart means, that we want God's word in our heart, right? You all long, don't we long for the word of God to be in our heart, amen? And so when you long for the word of God to be in your heart, then you have a pure heart. And verse uh, nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, working to be at peace with God and with man. Jesus says, the Bible says in Isaiah, Jesus is the prince of peace. And Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives it. And so as Jesus gives us peace, as he is the prince of peace, he's teaching us that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we need to take on the Prince of Peace, His peace in our lives, and we need to be peacemakers. We need to not, not elsewhere the Bible calls us to be warriors against the spiritual realm, but we need to be peacemakers with one another, peacemakers in the world around us. We're not to be warriors with one another. We are to be warriors against the enemy, against the Satan, against all the forces, the principalities and powers of darkness. To them, against those things, we become warriors. We become those. We pull down and destroy and uproot all the things of the enemy, spiritual enemy. But in the world that we live, with flesh and blood, with one another, we are to be peacemakers, not war makers. We need to be peacemakers. And be at peace. The Bible elsewhere says, as much as possible, be at peace with one another. So the Bible says that as citizens in the kingdom of heaven, do the best you can. Because it says in that verse, as much as possible, be at peace. Knowing that it's not always possible to be at peace. But do the best you can to be at peace with one another. And uh, then you shall be called sons of God. Because that's a choice that we make, to be peacemakers. And when you're trying your best to make peace, whether that person or individual or group refuses to accept the peace, you are a son of God because you tried and made the effort to be at peace. And if they accept it, well. If they don't, you're off the hook. You've made the attempt to be make peace. And so you shall be called sons of God of God. Hallelujah. And then the verse that we all don't really want to hear, verse 10. Hallelujah. We love all those other verses, right? They're good. But in verse number 10, it says, blessed are those who are per persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, when we come to Jesus, when you become born again, you will be persecuted. It says here, 
there will be those who will revile you, say all kinds of things against you, make false accusations against you. How many of you have, don't raise your hand, how many of you have experienced that? All of us have. False accusations, revile, will, people will revile you, make false accusations against you. But the Bible says when they start doing that, rejoice. Because it means you're doing something right. You're living, your, you're living your life as a child in the kingdom of heaven. And the enemy will revile you and mock you and make false accusations. And you will be persecuted. But rejoice. That's what it means to be blessed. You know, Lord, I, I'm, I'm living in righteousness. I'm living in the kingdom of heaven. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your child. I know where my hope is. I know where my future lies. I know that I am rich in you. And though these others that revile and make false accusations, Lord, you know that they're false and they're, they're vile, but I will rejoice in your truth and in your love. And so Jesus says, you know, these things you will be persecuted for righteousness sake, but the Bible says keep seeking after righteousness. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. People will compromise. Well, if I'm not so with the righteousness thing, then maybe the persecutions will stop a little. And if I get less righteous, I'll get less persecuted. Oh, if I do away with righteousness, I won't get any persecution. Well, what do you want? Do you want to live righteousness and live righteously according to the word of God and be persecuted? Or to say, Lord, put your righteousness on, put your righteousness aside and I won't be persecuted, and I could be at peace. No, you'll never be at peace if we give up living righteous, the righteous life. Always strive to live righteous before the Lord, and with the Lord, and in the Lord. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, even though you're persecuted, even though you're falsely accused. Hold on to your righteousness, the righteousness that is in God and in Christ. And it says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. The more you're persecuted, the more you're falsely accused, the greater your reward. That's what the Bible says. The greater your reward is in heaven. And when somebody wants to make false accusations, say, you know, I rebuke you. Those things are not true. They're false. But I will rejoice in my God because the more you make false accusations, the greater my reward in heaven will be. Do you know that? Did you, did you realize that? That the more people come against you and accuse you falsely, the greater your reward is in heaven? Huh? We never thought about it that way, did we? But the Bible says, he, Jesus says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, just to recap real quick, in verse 3, Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing as the kingdom of God, meaning that you now, you presently live in his kingdom. You are now a citizen. You're not going to be, you already are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, rejoice, be happy. You're blessed to be in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And he says that you will be comforted. You know, understand that yes, both in the future, but even in the present day, that God will forgive you. God will bring a comfort into your soul. And whether, whether it be uh, in the, 
as far as knowing that our sins are forgiven, we're comforted, but whatever we go through in life, whatever sorrows in life, whatever tragedies in life there are, God will comfort us in those things, even in those things. But more important, more important than the comfort of losing a loved one. You know, I lost my parents when I was little, and God was the only one that could comfort me in that loss. But God brings us comfort in those things. But the greatest comfort is knowing that, Lord, when I fall, you pick me up. When I sin, you forgive me and wash me clean. Lord, I'm at peace again with you. That is the greatest comfort. Because if we live with sin, not knowing whether we're forgiven, there is no peace. There's turmoil. There's, there's all. But where the peace and the comfort comes, knowing, Lord, even though I stumbled and fell, you picked me up washed me clean and put me back on the path of righteousness. Lord, my sins are washed away. As far as the east is from the west, I am forgiven. That is a comfort that, that, that goes beyond all things. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled with righteousness. You will obtain and find mercy. You will behold the Lord. You shall see him. You'll be called sons of God. And the Bible says, great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 We praise you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Beatitudes of the kingdom. It's wonderful. It's blessed. Hallelujah. There's, that's just the beginning. And then Jesus goes on to preach his sermon. But before he preached... He wanted to give them some spiritual things to bless them, to encourage them a little bit. And so he started off with the blessings. And then he goes on with the rest of the chapter, which we're not going into today. But the rest of the chapter, he's preaching a sermon. He's preaching and teaching. He's teaching his disciples. But he starts off. Isn't it wonderful when Jesus starts off, when he started off talking to the churches in the book of Revelation... He started off with the things that they were doing well, the things that they were doing right. And he started in the middle. He began to tell them the things that they need to clean up in their life, the things that they needed to fix or let go of or change or alter. And then he closed it by giving them promises of blessing again that he would never leave them. And this is how he starts his Sermon on the Mount here also. He starts by telling them, bless, you're blessed. In the, my kingdom, you're in the kingdom of heaven already. You are blessed. These are the things that should be. In the, these are the things that are in the kingdom. And these are the things that are going to be worked out in your life and in mine. These are things that are being worked out. We have to just desire them. Say, yes, Lord. Amen, Lord. And God says, blessed are you. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. If there's nothing else that brings comfort to me is knowing that I'm in the kingdom of heaven. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And no matter what, on that day, I'm going to be with the Lord face to face. Does that bring comfort to you? Right? To know no matter what, on that day, I'll be with Jesus in his kingdom. Even now, I'm with him in his kingdom. And he's helping me to work out through the days of my life. Through the days of our lives, God is helping us work out what needs to be worked out. 
And these are the things that we seek be peacemakers, seek righteousness, seek mercy, seek love. All these things, you know. And God is so wonderful. Bless the Beatitudes. Let these attitudes be in you. And let these attitudes be attitudes. Let these attitudes be in you. Amen? Amen. But they're more than attitudes. They're principles, kingdom principles that we need to take hold of. Hallelujah. Now let's pray. 